Hey, and welcome to the Tour Bus Podcast. I am Jay, the Tour Bus Driver, and in Season 1, we're talking with real working musicians and producers uh, about how they got the gig and what it takes to get the gig. For today's episode, I want you to imagine that you got a call from the Jonas Brothers to fill in on guitar or keys or whatever, uh, but the problem is, is the show is in a couple days and we're not going to have any time to rehearse, so can you nail it? Or let's say you get a call from a major record label to put a band together for a major act coming over from the UK making his US debut. Uh, would you be able to handle that? We're going to compare concerts to sporting events. We're going to talk about handwork on the dirty streets of L.A. We're going to talk about band management, moving out to L.A. We're going to talk about all that and more coming up on the Tour Bus Podcast. Here is my interview with Daniel Byrne, a.k.a. Patty O'Malley. I wish I had more lined up when I'd moved out here, but um, no, I just kind of... I think when I was younger, I just kind of always said I was going to move to L.A. You always crave more. That's something I've learned. So I made probably, I don't know, 250 bucks, which is not worth it. I remember the moment he walked in the room and I heard him sing and I just was like, he's truly something special and a great honor to work for. I think I ran three songs before the first show, literally, and not even the full song. It's mostly about finding somebody, A, you trust to represent you well, and can't. Can I find somebody that's going to embrace the show well? If you're not working on your chops or if you're not out auditioning, then, like, don't go out just to go out. Go out to meet people and follow up with them. We're here today with Daniel Byrne, uh, who I know is Patty O'Malley. We'll dig into that in a little bit. But, Daniel, thanks for <laughs> uh, joining me on the podcast. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Patty O'Malley, where where does that even come from? Is it, are you really Irish? Do you just look Irish? I am very Irish. My father's actually from Dublin, so I think that nickname got. I was probably like fourteen or thirteen when somebody started calling me Patty O'Malley just because they thought it was funny because my dad was Irish, and then obviously I had the big red hair at the time. I still do, yep. but um, I think that's kind of how that whole thing got started, and I couldn't get rid of it. I don't think it just kind of stuck with me. <laughs> For the longest time, when when I when I heard somebody say Daniel Byrne, I was like, "Who's that?" <laughs> Is it, that's still <laughs> like, it's funny. Like some people in Atlanta, I guess that now call me Daniel just from staying in contact. They'll refer to me as Daniel, and other people that have known me also for so long, like they don't, it doesn't register to them that they're talking about this uh, the same person basically. So back then <clears throat> you and I have this uh, one of my memories of you, you know, pictured in my head is actually a picture of you standing at an airport right outside a fence drooling because you too had landed and you were watching them get off the plane or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> you were the biggest U2 biggest U2 fan I'd ever 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 met in my life. Still and am. <laughs> I, that's what I was going to ask is is has that lived on? Oh yeah, I'm still obsessed. I'll I'll follow every record they do. I'm I love it all. I'll listen to every song on repeat until you know, until I move on to something else. But yeah, they're still probably one of my favorite bands. Good deal. Yeah, and and I and I give it to you because you're you're actually Irish, so you can be that you can be that guy. I think too. My dad grew up like going to local shows when he was I don't know sixteen, seventeen years old. Um, Are you just jealous? Yeah, I guess I definitely I wish I could go back in time and see those early U2 shows, you know, he went to school, I guess, like just two miles away from them um, or a few miles. I don't know. But um, yeah, so he kind of grew up listening to him. He wasn't that big of a fan growing up. And then I guess as my dad got older, he started really liking them. But um, and then he got he got on the bandwagon. A hundred percent. 
so yeah, he that was my first, I think, concert, seeing you two play, do that whole thing. And that was like the first moment where I was like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I think I was eight. The Elevation Tour. Or no, no, no. Um, it, yeah, no. I can't remember whatever was going on in 1998. My first U2 concert was, I think, the Elevation Tour tour and all i remember is i think if that was the one that had the heart shaped uh Mm -hmm. thing you know ramp or whatever you you come out but they started the show i remember this is the coolest shit i'd ever seen they started the show with the gym lights on in in the arena and they just walk out on stage like nothing's going on it's not dark whatever and they launch into whatever the title track was that when when yeah go into the song and when the chorus launches in the whole place goes dark lights come up big concert whatever it's just it's so freaking bad dude. dude their productions are insane i still think they're in they like yeah people who like kind yeah. of i know they get a lot of love hate these days but like if you go to a show you kind of walk away a fan i don't think you really have a choice anymore but um because it's oh, such sure. an insane production like every tour i've ever been to has definitely like blown my mind and as far as production and yeah it's very captivating which is hard to that's the hardest part about putting on a show that's like you know the ho- whole audience has to engage um and right. they're really good at that i mean insanely probably one of the best i don't know do you channel that when you're playing with jacob I try to. I try to put on a little quick reminder because you do this, you know, like, you know, like you do this so many times and you kind of go numb to it. Like audience size doesn't really matter. Production value doesn't really matter to you anymore. But I like to think like I forget somebody in town told me this, like playing a live show is kind of like a sport, like a sporting game. Like you're kind of one team and the audience is another team and you either win or you lose like you basically have to win, be better than the audience and captivate them and and make a game out of it. So I try to like put myself in a little bit of a headspace beforehand if I'm not like so busy running around making sure I have, you know, <laughs> the, the all black in your attire. Pocket. Yeah, picks. <laughs> Dude, that stuff will stress me out, bro. Like if I don't have, <laughs> and I can't have my wallet in my pocket, I can't play with any of that stuff. So yeah, like besides all the new, in the busy, you know, two or day schedule, like it's, it's definitely something like to remember is like people paid to come see you play and they gave their time and that's really important. And you want to make sure that you sell the material and you believe it. And if you, if you don't, you can always tell when the band or the artist or a musician on stage are just kind of like, I'm just sure. here existing. Yeah. I think the energy is really important and that may, the audience notices it. So, so we played together, um, you know, probably 10, 12 years ago now, South Atlanta. And then, Next thing I know, you're kind of out in L.A. Um, so walk me through maybe whenever we kind of weren't playing together as much and how you got out to L.A. and what was going through your mind while you made that made that jump. Did you have something lined up or did you just kind of no. you know, go out there? <laughs> I wish I, <laughs> I wish I had more lined up when I'd moved out here. But um, no, I just kind of. I think when I was younger, I just kind of always said I was going to move to L.A. I don't even know why. I didn't really know what L.A. was or, you know, really what went into being a musician in L.A. I had honestly no clue. But I just kept saying it for the longest time. And then one day after Christmas, I was just like, I'm just going to do it. And so I, my lease was almost up. And so I kind of just. You How old to, were you? I think I would have been 23. Did you go to school or did you just play music? 
I, I never went, uh, well, I went to a little bit of like community college, but I never took music courses or anything like that. I kind of wish I had and looking back on life, you know, done some proper music education, but um, no, I just, I came straight out here. I didn't do the MI thing or not that I wouldn't have. I just uh, didn't cross my mind. I was more concerned about making money than spending more, I think when I first moved out here, but yeah, I just, just kind of decided to do it. I mean, it was I'd ne- I hadn't even spent much time on the West Coast. I'd done a record out here like probably seven or eight years ago. And I think that's when I caught the L.A. bug hard is I, I was doing this record for this like Latin artist in Topanga Canyon. And with this amazing producer named Casey Porter, who's done like the big Carlos Santana Supernatural record. And um, we were just at his home studio, which is more than a home studio and tracking. And I must have been 21 at the time. And. And then we would drive around, you know, when we're not tracking, hanging out. And I was like, this place is incredible. I'd never even seen landscape like that before. Um, so, yeah. And then I think about it took me two years after that before I actually made the move or maybe a year. And, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty scary at first. But um, so you move out to L.A. and, and then what? Um, what? You, how long did it take before something maybe felt consistent, if, if it even has yet? Man, I, you always crave more. That's something I've learned. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I moved out here and it probably was a slow start. I mean, it was a slow start to get like the local things going and just some normal, like kind of resembling my career in Atlanta. It took a minute, probably about upwards of a year to get that whole thing going. And then it probably took another year and a half, two years before I started seeing like kind of leveling up in terms of the quality of gigs I was doing. and. Um, yeah, you know, I played a bunch of just random local things. I did a bunch of odd jobs too, just to make bills work. You know, um, like I did a bunch of audio engineering. I did a bunch of production management. Um, did you do anything just weird? I had a buddy, another musician friend who had just moved here from North Carolina. Amazing drummer. Um, he had moved out here, and we had kind of hit it off. He was touring with this girl named Maddie Diaz, who's an incredible songwriter. Um, and he was like, "Yo, like I have some like." you know, local hand work. If you just need to make some cash, like I've been doing it, you know, it pays whatever. And, uh, so I did it and I kind of got roped into this company that was doing all these local hand work that I would do a couple of months. What, what's hand, what's hand work? Like setting up like, I don't know, like trusts and lights and PAs for conferences oh, and mics. Okay. That was like, and it was definitely grunt work and, you know, but like you got to pay bills if you want to live out here and they're definitely more expensive than they were back home in Atlanta. And so (laughs) that's what I hear. I, uh, I was doing this gig and it was for, I was doing this local hand, like basically set up teardown gig at the globe golden globe site. I guess that's at, sorry, at the golden globe event that was happening in Hollywood. And I knew nothing about the golden globes. I I still don't really know exactly what it (laughs) is, but they, um, they had a big red carpet like tent outside out back of the hotel that they hosted at and um it had rained and so we were there to strike all the red carpet and um all the staging but um and it had rained on this basically what is normally con- what has been a construction site they had turned into this massive i don't know event space and we we were sinking in mud, lifting up staging for 12 <laughs> oh, no. hours to the point where we broke for lunch. I think I had a team of 10 people I was working with we broke for lunch. And then I think only seven people came back from lunch and the other. <laughs> and then oh. 
one guy got hurt. Oh, I mean, these things, we were lifting like staging that was so covered in mud that they must have weighed like 400 pounds. Like we were getting um, little forklifts to lift them up because they had just gotten so dirty. Um, and, and how I, much money did you make that day? I actually, so what happened was, is people kept getting hurt and leaving. And so I made probably, I don't know, 250 bucks. But then the guy who, which is not worth it. And I, I told myself that is the hardest <laughs> day of work I've ever done in my life. Um, but at the end of the day, the guy who ran it came by and gave me $200 cash on top of what I made. So I thought that was really cool. So I ended up making like, you know, 450 bucks, there which was like still <laughs> not worth <laughs> how terrible it was. But um, that was probably the weirdest um, odd job. I mean, I did a bunch of random stuff. Like I loaded out, um, I did a loadout for No Doubt when I first moved here, that band. and um, So you started getting some steady gigs. How did you land the Jacob Banks gig? Uh, and, and was it something you were looking for? And just kind of set that up for us. And then we'll talk about, you know, kind of what led up to it. Yeah. So, I mean, I was doing some like local work, gigs, playing guitar and a little bit of keys. And I, I did a few like short tours, like two week things and. But I, um, I think, I don't know. I was production managing some artist named Jacoy, um, in LA and he had a couple of showcases and I was making sure he, the band was, had everything they need. The shows went over the way they were supposed to. And, um, and I became friends with this artist manager. Who's this amazing manager named Brandon Silverstein. And, um, now who now manages Normani, Anita, Jacob Banks, Bozzy, like he literally is killing it in the management world right now. But when I had met him, he had just, ha- I think he only had a handful of artists. And so I was production managing one of his artists for him just around town when I was free. And, uh, he called me one day and said, yo, I got this new artist that I'm working with named Jacob Banks. And, um, like I need like everything I need the band I need, uh, you know, I was like, Oh, I got you. And so I just put together a band for him and we did some showcases in LA and I'd never met Jacob up until our first rehearsal. And, um, yeah, he flew over. I don't think he had even performed in America at this point cause he's London based. And, uh, he had, he had a band and a whole team back in UK, but I think he had, I don't know, maybe he had just signed to Interscope at the time, but they were doing a bunch of showcases in LA and they didn't have a band or anything set up. So I just called all my, you know, some of my favorite players in LA and we put together a band and yeah, I've been working with Jacob ever since. It was a lot of fun. And especially I remember the moment he walked in the room and I heard him sing and I just was like, yeah, this is it. He's, uh, wow. He's truly something special and re- a great honor to work for. How, how much kind of heads up did you get listening to his music to put the <laughs> band, to put the band together? I don't think I've ever gotten an appropriate amount of heads up for any material. Um, <laughs> ever um especially when the gig is like when you're really excited about it you they you're just gonna get it last minute um <laughs> i remember so i guess i don't know i got the call in december i talked to jacob on the phone in january i th- and i started getting material probably early january and then our first gig was on january i think our first gig ever was january 19th 2017 and i probably was getting I was having to get all the stems too from all these different producers. So like the label was trying to get the producers to bounce the stems down, but they were at mix and like, so I was getting one song producer for every song. A hundred percent. Yeah. So basically I probably had about a week and maybe two weeks. I don't know. It depends on when I got the songs in. I, most of the first shows we did, 
were only about five or six songs. There were little showcases put on it by Interscope. There were a lot of fun though. We, I think we did the grand opening of this club called Peppermint Club, which is like a small, like upscale, like listening room. It's I think Universal Music Group owns it. But anyways, we did okay. the grand opening, and Jacob was like kind of a new Interscope artist, and it was really cool because like. I'd never played with Jacob. We're at this brand new fancy Hollywood club. And I think Drake was there and Ryan Tedder was there. So like, I, it was something like it was kind of an experience where I like, Oh, we're like, this is for real. This isn't, yeah. you know, this isn't your local, you know, uh, open mic. <laughs> right. Right. Far from it. <laughs> the, the scouts are there. Yeah. In fact, somebody sent me the, I remember uh, somebody sent me a, a one republic facebook post or maybe it was ryan's personal i don't know but it was a photo of us playing and saying he was at the peppermint club and i was like that's sick because <laughs> i'm a big fan of ryan tedder and one republic and that so you've been with jacob banks since 2017 yeah um and that's taken you everywhere it, it looks like when i scroll through your your instagram and you know i've been following along you know this whole time um Looks like you've been all over the place, man. What's been kind of the the coolest experience and what was there? Can you think of a a low experience? Some of the cooler experiences to me were probably the early days when he was um, getting started because we, you know, you have a smaller team back when things are all getting off, like you, uh, you know, you don't have a full band. You don't have a tour manager. You don't have like your own audio engineer. You're just kind of at the mercy of wherever you go. And so I think one of the more fun experiences was our first run at South by Southwest, which, um, which some musicians, I guess, tell me it was going to be brutal. We're telling me that it was going to be brutal and just like a total nightmare, but we had like the best time. Um, just cause we were playing all the I think we got lucky. We played all the really fun showcases like Fader 4, um, Billboard, Vivo, um, like all the really cool stages. They give you so much free swag. Like there's just shoes falling from the sky and just, (laughs) I don't know. Um, So I had a lot of fun with that. Like, I mean, yeah, we were carrying our, you know, pedal boards and cymbals across, you know, the streets of downtown Austin, but um it was nothing unmanageable. Like we had a blast. Awesome. Um, but I mean, like as far as like some of the big like hoorahs, like we've done a lot of just insane shows that were really fun. We did um Montreux Jazz Festival and we had played right before, or maybe I think we had were supporting Khalid that night. And yeah, that was like Montreux Jazz Festival's been going on forever and um and it's kind of rare to get to do it so i'm glad that i got to um, and and it's kind of this festival in montreux switzerland where it's like all spread out through like right on the lake um it's spread out through all these little venues right there um again oh, sounds lake. incredible and yeah and it's in the summer so it's not cold and it's just like the air i don't know switzerland is something else for real and um you just kind of they they take good care of you you're you're staying on this lake you you get to casually go over to your venue and you, you know get taken care of and sound check and then yeah like, they, they just set you up for success and we completely murdered that performance and um 
It was one of those we won type gigs and uh, yeah, the room was full. I mean, and they split them up like there's no like big stage. It's not like the 40,000 person stage. It's more like, oh, this room, you know, has 5,000. This room has 3,000 or whatever. I think whatever. So it, it, it's smaller stages set up at this festival, but it was just so much fun. And we just got to spend three days listening to some of the best music. We got to go to like see Quincy Jones birthday party where they had this amazing oh, jazz wow. band. Um yeah, so it, that was probably one of the more special experiences because, and I think it was their 50, I don't know, I feel like it was some special anniversary that year too um, that they were celebrating. Um, Coachella was fun. Like all the big names are a lot of fun, but like sometimes I think with the big names you get a lot of, there's just a lot happening and it's really busy and, you know, you, you might not have as much sound check time as you like. You would think like, oh, you're playing XY Festival, whatever it is. You must get like a great sound check. And that's not always the case. So, um, yeah. So a lot of those names are like, we're awesome to do. But it's I think it's kind of these unique ones. Like, um, you know, another one that we had a really good time at was Monterey Pop Festival. We'd, it was like the 50 year anniversary. And um, like Jimi Hendrix had played it or whatever. And what was funny is we're walking around. I remember distinctly about that day as we were walking around on stage and um because this is where the infamous Jimi hendrix lights his guitar on fire moment and everyone (laughs) everyone kept saying like that stain that you know dark spot on the heart because the stage is hardwood floors and they were saying that oh that dark spot over there is where uh jimmy burned his guitar (laughs) and then like another stage guy would walk by and be like that's not where he did it (laughs) just like (laughs) everyone just kept talking about this burn mark from his guitar um which i think they were all just like beer stains at the end of the day but it was really cool to be a part of something that's just been around for so long i mean the who's done it otis redding yeah Um, those are the performances that like make me like feel like and not accomplished but like excited and like this is real or you know this is this means something you know sure sure and we could walk that back to like you know obviously you took a chance and moved to LA but when you got offered or or asked to put a band together and kind of do some band leading how did what did you have to do before that to kind of be prepared for that moment what um, risks or chances did you take from Get, you know, how'd you get into doing band leading and like, where did, do you remember the first time you led a band and, and how, how that went so that when this opportunity came up, you were able to. Yeah. I mean, I had done a little bit like through, you know, church gigs and stuff like that, like making sure that things were arranged the way that they were supposed to, or, you know, to the best of our abilities. But honestly, I think like I went on a limb by, you know, just saying like, yeah, I'll do it. And, uh, but I had, you know, I think having a background in a couple of different instruments is like a key part of that. Like not, not being, um, clueless when it comes to things like drums and what makes sense as far as drums in a live, sure. you know, sorry. In like a live context, like having a good idea what the drum should be and should not be doing and paying attention to those elements. And then also being able to play a little bit of those. I can't play drums worth a shit like I am a terrible drummer but I can play a, I can play a, a mean keys progression for sure and I can play totally fine bass and um anything fretted is fine um but I think having that and having a good sense of production and like the software and all the gizmos that go into gear and recording and you know uh 
putting on a live show, knowing enough about the equipment is definitely something that can help you when you're kind of doing all this stuff. Cause you have to consider like, you're going to be putting a band together. Do you want to run tracks? Are you not running tracks? Um, if you're running tracks, are you going to just have the drummer hear it? Are you going to have the whole band hear it? Okay. Now we need in-ears. And it's like having all that knowledge and knowing when, it's sensible to use all the toys or when it's sensible to just like let the drummer have control of, you know, a playback setup. So, and he can count you off on the hi-hats and knowing what gigs, Oh, we're only doing like a a five song show at this, you know, a little promo event. We're not going to bring a bunch of in-ears and a bunch of equipment and a whole band for that. You know, we're going to try to do the best show that's appropriate for the space and the environment. So um, I think knowing a lot, about all that kind of stuff beforehand made me feel confident that my crazy idea of, uh, yeah, I'll take care of it, um, would work <laughs> out, you know? So, yeah. Right. And I, and, and I'm willing to, to guess, and I want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that a lot of that experience came from just taking on things that maybe probably weren't sexy gigs. Look, when you, when I look back now, it's like, I feel like everything is so usable and, in terms of like what it's taught me and how to, you know, make things work. There's like, yeah, I mean, I feel like all that, all these random gigs in the past definitely have a helping hand into this, like knowing a little bit about audio and knowing a little bit about, you know, recording and, and knowing a lot about playback and how that works. And, um, it all matters in the end once it comes to game time. And if you get asked to do a tour, it's like, you want to be, you want to make sure you offer a role that's kind of, um, irreplaceable you 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 know you can offer a helping hand when need be you don't no need to like over assert yourself or like prove yourself but like when it comes down to game time like if you know how to deal with certain things that like will make you unstoppable really right because how many people honestly can come in and play the parts if that's all it amounts to a bunch and probably a bunch better than me honestly but um yeah that that's at the end of the day like that doesn't get you through a tour and like, you know, obviously there's the social aspect, which is highly valuable. And, um, but there's, it's becoming more and more like important to have other knowledge beyond just like, can you play your instrument? Like there's so many great players. LA is full of like filthy guitar players. Some of the best that I've ever seen in my life, but that doesn't necessarily mean like, can you get X, Y artists through whatever tour, you know? How so? You also get to fill in for the Jonas Brothers. How how did that opportunity come about? So I have a friend in town who is this amazing guitar player named Tom Crouch. Um, he's from the UK, and he he's an amazing artist as well. He goes by the artist name Liminal, and I think he started playing with them like two a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago now. Because that's when they they didn't, weren't even a band for the longest time, and. Um, I guess about a year and a half ago, they kind of got back together and they offered my friend Tom the gig and he's been doing it ever since. He's so insane. It's I, I got to watch him play the show in Nashville before I filled in and I was just so impressed. The whole thing is incredible. But um, he actually, I think he had to go out of the country to sort some visa stuff because he's from the UK and whatnot. But um, yeah, he just called me a few months out and was like, hey, like I might have to leave the country for a week or whatever. And uh, would you be willing to fill in? And I was like, I don't know. Let me think about it. <laughs> <And> <laughs> you tried to act not interested. Yeah, no, not at all. I was like, of course <laughs> I will, man. And, and sure enough, like he told me kind of like a general time frame of, cause they were already on tour when all this, when he kind of was like, Oh, I might have to leave the country for just one week and then I'll be back. And I was like, great. 
And then he was like, yeah, we're thinking September, late September. And I was like, cool, like just send me the material. And so let's say, you know, I got the material maybe early September or late August. And then, and then he calls me one day and he's like, Hey, could you leave like in three days? And I was like, three days. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, like what was supposed to be like a kind of like a couple weeks heads up and all that kind of happened, got pushed forward really quickly. And, um, so I kind of had to cram like the 20 song show down my throat and oh my gosh get ready i mean it's such fun guitar material like their show's so good and it's so guitar oriented it's like totally like a guitar player's dream to um as far as a performance goes like it's so good and their songs are incredible so it wasn't it's not too hard to digest those songs it was just a lot in a short amount of time i think you know Sure. And no pressure, no pressure. Yeah. Cause I was so, I had the luxury of having such a long sound check and such a long rehearsal beforehand. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I think I ran three songs before the first show, literally, and oh, not even the full man. song. And, and the stuff I ran was they run every day anyways, for like safety procedures, you know, things they have pyro, they have moving stages, there's runways and ramps. And so they, they have to run a certain, certain pieces, I guess, to make the show, you know, Make sure it's all going to go correctly. I, I was supposed to fill in with them in Vegas, but, um, you know, this whole coronavirus thing. Oh, uh, yep, yep. I was going to do a week with them. I think Tom's brother was had a, was getting married or something. and he, But, uh, yeah, it all fell through because of the coronavirus, which is really unfortunate. But, you know, there will be more gigs in life. Yep, yep. What's something? What's something that a band like the Jonas Brothers, a group like those guys, are looking for even in just a fill in spot, like let's just assume that everyone can play and play the parts professionally. And like, if I was to hire somebody for Jacob, it's not necessarily Jacob banks. Like if I was going to hire somebody to fill in for me, it's not necessarily like, can I just find any ridiculous player? Cause I can, it's mostly about finding somebody, a you trust to represent you well. And can, can I find somebody that's going to embrace the show? Well, like if the show's really energetic, am I going to hire I'm not going to hire somebody who's kind of more of a stoic performer. Like I, I need somebody sure. to like live into it and run around and jump up and down. So when I was filling in for Tom, like with the Jonas brothers, like I watched all the YouTube videos and I'm like, okay, old boy is running. He is full tilt the entire show, like <laughs> velocity 127, the whole nine yards. And so I wanted to embrace that, but also it's not hard to, because the show is like a lot of fun. So <laughs> right, right. it's not hard to get pumped up for a show. That's that much fun. But, um, I think, you know, let's assume you know how to play the parts, but like, will you embrace them co- contextually? Like there's a difference, like two people can play let's say you take 10 people in a room, they all play the same chord. They will all play the chord slightly differently. You say, Hey, play a G open G for whatever reason, it will sound different. Like there's this, there's a sense of embracing like a certain style and all that. And I think maybe that's probably one of the reasons is like, he thought that maybe I would embrace the, you know, the type of style of the music more. And then obviously you you need to carry yourself well and know how to be professional. I mean, how to, communicate with people and that sort of sense of level and trust is, you know, very important, you know, knowing how to conduct yourself with, you know, 40 stage crew walking around all day and catering and knowing how to get, you know, take care of yourself, letting yourself in and out of the venue. And, you know, when somebody's thinking about hiring you, you know, you, you, all those things should, you know, you would like those things to be in place. Are there any stories that where you learned that, uh, kind of the hard way or, oh, or foot, foot, <laughs> foot in mouth, like, um, uh, you know, just 
big offer, not necessarily a big opportunity blown, but you're just like, God, that was a close one. I had like this, I had like a, a random gig in town one time where I walked in and I had rehearsed with the artist and everything was great. And I remember I walked in the rehearsal and I was kind of expecting to like cover the grounds as far as the lead stuff was go and have the artist cover like a lot of the rhythm stuff and make sure the foundation of the song was fine. And that's how we'd rehearsed it. But when we went to do a full band rehearsal, she was like, Oh, I'm not playing. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) so this is a treat. This is a pop gig with basically like drums, bass and electric guitar. Like, that's not really going to cover all the grounds. And like, it was just like a really tricky situation to navigate. Cause you're like, okay, like how do I explain this person? How do I explain to this artist that like, this isn't going to work without me looking like, I don't know how to make it work, but really, right. and everything had gone great up until that moment. And it was just like the worst rehearsal. Like I remember being like, just like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Cause I didn't know how to navigate it at the time. And um, I would know how to handle that way better these days, but yeah, like not knowing that like, okay, we are not using tracks, even though the, the, the music is essentially like straight, you know, cookie cutter pop production. Sure. It doesn't really translate when you're doing it like John Mayer trio style. And so, yeah, the whole rehearsal was a disaster. That That's actually something I feel like I deal with a lot is being like, okay, if we want, if, if I'm talking to a client or an artist or whatever, and they want to do X, Y, and Z, it's like making sure, you know, that you communicate clearly what that will require, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and to not beat around the bush, be like, you know, I really think we need like, a f- we need to have, you know, keys for this, or we really need two BGVs for this. If we, you know, it's, it's going to be on television or whatever you, you, you got to consider all those things and communicate those. And um, knowing how to do that is really important, especially when you're trying to like, you know, keep and work through a gig. No, but one one other question uh, before we get you out of here. Um, what would what would you tell yourself, Daniel, uh, Patty? Mm-hmm. You know your younger self. If you were moving out to L.A. today in today's L.A. music scene, um, knowing what you know, what would, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Ooh, man, I feel like one of the important things for me is like if I could go back, I would be a lot less precious about certain things and not, you know, stress myself out and just, I think staying focused being like, this is what I want. Like if you want to be on tour, okay, well go to the places where people are on tour are going. Are they going to this, you know, venue in town? Are they going to hotel cafe? Most are going to hotel cafe. Um, you want to go to those places so you can meet those people and, and have kind of, you don't really need to make some ridiculous like corporate plan, but it is a business and it's good to think about it like that way and be like, okay, I want to be on tour. So how do I get on tour? Well, you need to be in a place where you can meet people that even hire that and, and stay focused and go to those places, meet those people, you know, obviously keep your chops up and, and be as professional as you can. But like I said, most people out here and, and in the music scene anywhere, like can play just damn great. And, but if you want to get what you want, write it down, say, I want to be on tour, you know, at this level, making sure you know what your plan is and, and have some goals and stick to them and don't get too sidetracked and don't waste all your time and money. Like, if you're not working on your chops or if you're not out auditioning, then like 
don't go out just to go out, go out to meet people and follow up with them. And, you know, in a genuine fashion, like if you find, if you meet somebody at a gig and you guys genuinely get along, like you should hit them up and say, let's get coffee. You know, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. And just being direct, like we'll go a long way. And I wish I'd done that sooner when I moved to LA. Cause I think I was, I was, you know, 23. So I guess young enough to be dumb enough. And yeah, I kind of, I, I'd wish I had like kind of been like, kept a clear vision in those early days. Um, not to say that it would have panned out any differently, but that's something that I wish I had done better. Maybe. No, that, that's a great message for folks. That I think, you know, not even in maybe an, an Atlanta music scene, but, uh, farther out from a, ma- a major city, um, considering moving to somewhere like LA, like you better have a vision in place. And if you want to make the most of the time out here, because there's a lot of people out here trying to use up the same time that you have, you know, 100%. you want to have a plan, you want to focus on being around the people that are doing the things that you want to be doing. A hundred percent. And I, I think it's so difficult to even have a career in music that basically you kind of have to be a little bit crazy to ever take it on, you know, like, uh, there's a lot against you. And so I tell people like, if you really, really, really want it, then don't stop until you have it. And most of the time, eventually things will pan out for you. As long as you know, you live up to your side of the equation, you show up and you, you hone in your skills and your craft. And I think for the true, uh, dreamers and like the true, oh, let's true. I say that in quotes musician, like most real musicians love to work on their chops and love to that that's something they enjoy so that part should come naturally for most and then on top of it like if you can do that and 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 just really go for it um i think things will be a success it doesn't always look that great i don't think and it's not always easy and it's definitely painful and there's a lot of um there's months with no checks and then there's months and but then you get to the point where there's months where you're like, this is a real job now. Daniel, Patty. Yes, sir. I've loved catching up with you uh, and can't wait to do it again, man. Thank you so much. Of course, man. It's been a pleasure. Hey, and thanks for listening to the Tour Bus Podcast, a platform built by working musicians and producers to help you get more auditions, more gigs, and more of what you want. I'm Jay, the Tour Bus Driver. If you like what you hear, you can do a couple things. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us online and like us wherever you do your social media. If you have any comments or questions, you can go to thetourbuspodcast.com slash tipjar and leave us a comment or question, or you can email tipjar at thetourbuspodcast.com. Theme music provided by The Rock and at Philly Stacks Music. Yeah.